One of my favorite movies is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, I remember seeing it, man, it's been 28 years ago, uh, at a theater in Portland, Oregon. I remember sitting there watching this movie, being mesmerized and frightened, shocked and thrilled all at the same time. And, and when it was over, it felt as though I hadn't taken a breath since the movie began. It's just one action-packed scene after another. If you're not familiar with this, with this movie, it's the story of Indiana Jones, who is sort of half-brilliant archaeologist professor and half-Wild West gunslinger. It's set in the days of World War II, and the United States government has discovered that the Nazis are, are looking for the lost Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. And so they commission Indiana Jones to find it before the Nazis do. The commission, this commission leads Jones all over the world and eventually to North Africa, where with his girlfriend Marion, an Egyptian friend, and some sympathetic nationals, he finds the ark. Indiana Jones and his friend find it in this pit called the Well of the Souls. And they crate it. Some colleagues pull it up to the surface Unfortunately, the Nazis have caught on to his plan. And they take the ark and they entomb Indiana Jones and Marion in this dungeon-like, snake-infested pit. With the smug laughter of their enemies fading into the daylight sun, Indiana Jones and Marion watch helplessly as this huge stone slab is slid across the entrance, leaving them in darkness and in death. And up above in the desert sand, his friend falls to his knees and bows his head in despair and death. You can see it written all over his friend's face. The enemy has won. It's over. They've got the ark. They've killed my friends. Evil has triumphed once again. Can you see the disciples in that image? The stone, which is probably four or five feet in diameter and probably weighs in the neighborhood of hundreds of pounds, that's rolled across the entrance of Jesus' tomb is a sign of finality and defeat. As the stone is rolled into the, in front of the tomb's opening, down into the groove that holds it in place and makes it virtually impossible for one person to move it. Everyone watching, everyone who cares about Jesus, bows their head in defeat and resignation and death. That stone becomes the symbol of the finality of Jesus' death. We know something of that kind of finality of a closed tomb. It seems to me that one of the most one of the most painful moments of a funeral service is the final closing of the casket lid. Some families want to watch, most don't. And those who do watch are almost always overwhelmed with grief. 
they already know that, that their loved one is dead, but there's something indescribably final about closing that lid. The contact with that person is over. You can't put your hand on their arm or stroke their hair or just gaze into their face. And, and though the person lying in that casket is, is lifeless, some, there's still something comforting about being able to see them, about having some kind of physical contact with them. But the closing of the lid eliminates. If you've had the experience of burying a loved one, you know. You know that once that lid is closed, it's over. That stone, like our casket lids, brings finality to Jesus' life and ministry and presence. And for those most intimate followers, the end of hope. It's over. Evil is triumphed. Hope is lost. Finished. We know not only the pain of death in that way, but the agony of living in a world in which every sign tells us that evil is triumphant. I think we understand something of what the disciples feel. We know something of that struggle. Does it seem to you, as it does to me, that the world is spiraling more and more out of control? Violence, greed, murder, and it seems to be escalating. Just think about the shooting in Binghamton recently. A civic center helping immigrants acclimate to America, teaching English, assisting with the American citizenship test, helping them find jobs. It's a good place with good people. And yet now it's a place shattered by evil. Shell casings. Fourteen dead. Four more wounded. Spouses, children, parents, inconsolable. A neighborhood in fear. A city and a nation shocked and grieving. No wonder so many people have a sense of living without hope. We lament the the ebbing sense of spiritual apathy in our nation. We lament a a growing sense of moral apathy toward Christianity and toward God and and in many places an unwillingness to to think of Christianity as a legitimate worldview. An unwillingness to acknowledge God's presence. And it feels as though that things are in the hands of the evil one and there's nothing we can do except sort of feel like we can try to eke by and just build our walls around ourselves and the church, hold on until Jesus comes. I mean, all we can really do is, is live for the life to come because nothing's going to be any different now. And in our attempts to, to be better people, to make the world a better place, it, It seems that so often it's futile. But that sort of resignation doesn't really seem right, does it? Shouldn't we do something? Shouldn't we have a plan that will bring about our rescue, help the world be a better place? Doesn't it fall on our shoulders? As soon as the stone slab seals in Indiana Jones and and Marion, he begins searching for a way out. Marion begins using the few fading torches to fend off the thousands of snakes that are in that pit. Jones eventually finds a crack in the wall 
And just as their torches are going out, the hissing snakes bearing in upon them, they crash through the wall to safety. On the one hand, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Actually, it's one of, not one of my favorite scenes at the same time because I hate snakes. And uh, oh, just, if they could eliminate that part of the scene, it would be even better. And Indiana Jones, the beginning says, I hate snakes. I really hate them. But there's something about that scene that I love as well because the heroes you're rooting for are saved. They use their ingenuity and strength and they get out of this predicament. And you see this repeated over and over again through this blockbuster movie. And something in us believes that if we, if we just work harder, if we, if we do better, if, if we can be better, we can change things. And so we keep working and planning and hoping. And, and sometimes we see some progress. We get glimpses every so often. But the truth is, things keep falling apart. The enemy's at work, and he seems invincible. And all the evidence shouts that he has the upper hand. But you see, our effort isn't the story of Easter. Jesus isn't rescued because of human ingenuity or human strength. Jesus is rescued by the Almighty God. The stone is not rolled away by human strength. It's rolled away by the power of God. And the story of Easter is good news, the good news, because it's God declaring his power over the evil one and over the evil one's greatest weapon, death. Jesus takes Satan's best shot, and Jesus wins. Matthew describes the resurrection event as filled with displays of God's power, a violent earthquake, an angel whose appearance is like lightning, guards that are so afraid they shake like dead men. But my favorite image is of the angel sitting on top of the rolled back stone. It's a detail that I think is essential and significant to understanding this miraculous event. It's not a throwaway line. I don't think there are any throwaway lines in the Scriptures. I think it's a vivid image of God's complete and total victory. An angel sitting on the stone. It's an image of confidence and victory. It's done. Confidence and victory that that the game has ended, the horn has sounded, the curtain has come down, the last note has been played, the verdict has come in, it's over. Jesus is not just winning, he won. The outcome of the battle doesn't hang in the balance, it's finished. And the angel has such confidence that he sits on top of the one object that most powerfully symbolizes Jesus' death and the finality of his death. This one image that, that, that we see that it symbolizes the disciples' despair and the enemy's arrogance. Now, the image of the angel sitting on the stone brought to my mind a contemporary image. On December 23rd, 1982, at Blaisdell Arena in Honolulu, Shamanad University, a school with about 900 students and competing in a program for just seven years and doing so at the, at the same level as Houghton College, took the court against the University of Virginia Cavaliers. Virginia was ranked the number one team in the nation. They boasted the best player in the nation, and they were everyone's favorite to win the national championship. 
It was a typical David versus Goliath, except most people would have given David better odds against Goliath than Chaminade against Virginia. But they were wrong. Some have called it the biggest upset in the history of American sports. Chaminade won 77 to 72. When the story came across the Associated Press wire around 2 o'clock in the morning, several newspapers called the AP office in New York to verify that this really was right. One person said, which Virginia team did they beat? Thinking it might have been Virginia State or Virginia Union or some other Virginia school, but not the University of Virginia. When the final horn sounded, the fans rushed onto the floor in celebration. The team cut down the nets, and a couple of players climbed up on the backboard and sat on the rim. It was their way of declaring complete victory. Something about sitting up there says, we won, and nothing can change that. It's done. And the stone is rolled away and would look like death three days earlier is now life and power. The guards and the religious leaders and all who oppose Jesus look at the angel and they see God's power and they shudder in fear. And the women and the disciples and all who embrace Jesus look at the angel and they see God's power and they begin to wonder what exactly is going on here. And you and I look at the angel and we see God's power and we begin to realize Something of the confidence of that angel can be ours too. This angel reminds the the women that Jesus is risen just as he said. This is no fluke. This is the fulfillment of God's eternal plan to redeem the world. A vivid reminder that no matter the apparent power of the opposition, God keeps his word. And nothing can prevent him from keeping his word. What an important truth, as the, because as the pages of Acts unfold, it's evident that the follow, followers of Jesus still live in a fallen world. The evil one is still at work, but they know that Jesus has risen just as he said. Jesus has defeated the evil one just as he said. And no matter what things look like on Friday, Jesus wins just as he said. And now they live and operate and go into the world with the perspective of confidence, not in themselves, but in the power and the promise of the risen, victorious Christ. And the risen Christ offers you and me the same confidence. Not because we're powerful, but because he is. He offers us confidence to sit on the stones of our lives and of our world, those symbols of all that we perceive to be a threat to the kingdom of God and to the presence of God in our lives and in this world. Christ invites us to sit on the stones of evil and despair with confidence because we know that in Christ the battle has been won. And it may not appear that way at times, but it's over. All authority in heaven and on earth are his and are given to us who are in him. As Matthew's gospel draws to a close, Jesus declares all authority belongs to the risen Christ. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go influence the world because I who have all the power and authority, I'm with you. The promise of the resurrection is not 
Jesus will get you out of all your problems. The promise of the resurrection is Jesus who wins is with you always. He who conquers death will never leave you nor forsake you. He who rose in the power of God is at work within you. So you can live in confidence and power and victory in him. And our ultimate confidence to live with hope in a world of despair and apathy and moral malaise is the risen Christ. He's the victor. He has the power and the authority. He conquers death, not us. And in his power and presence and victory, we can go forth and live and tell and win. And we can actually be people who live in confident victory and joy because the risen, victorious Christ is in us. It's the victorious face of Christ that we worship this day. And we can join the angel on the stone, whatever the stone may symbolize for us, because Christ is risen. And all who are in Christ are alive with confidence and power and hope and joy and victory. Suppose one night you're alone in your house with your preschool children or your grandchildren or you're watching someone else's children. And in that that night, an intruder enters your house. If you doubt your power over the intruder, your love for the children really doesn't offer you any consolation. And your house becomes a place of fear, even terror. But if you have undisputed control over the situation, even an intruder coming into your house really isn't all that significant. The universe is God's house. An intruder has entered and is even now desecrating his house. And many times we see him walking around and we're on the brink of fear and terror. But we don't need to fear. Because he and our father met head on in combat in the tomb. And God emerged the undisputed victor. Because he's victorious, we're victorious. I suspect that few of us need proof that Jesus, who was dead, is now alive. We get it. But do we live like we get it? Do we make decisions and view our lives and the world and the troubles of our lives and the troubles of the world with the confidence of an angel sitting on the stone, reflecting the face of the risen Christ? Do we live like the disciples who go into all the world with victorious faces because they reflect the face of the risen Christ? We can live in this world with victorious faces because Christ's victory is for us too. May God give us grace to live in Christ's victory and to reflect his victorious, risen face. Gracious Father, open our eyes to the power 
of the resurrection. May we live in that victorious power. 